This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Hey folks, it's 2022 and many of us have been pondering, what's next? How can I take my career to the next level? How can I do more and make a greater impact? But those questions come, well, even more questions. How can I prepare for the next step of my career? Do I need a portfolio? And how can I best prep for interviewing in the learning development space? The great news is our guest today can help you sort through those questions so you are better prepared to transition to the right opportunity to do more of what you love. Kara North is a learning and development expert who has done extensive research on these subjects and shares how the learning and development roles have evolved and what you can do to ensure that you are successful in this space. Kara brings more than a handful of awesome findings, so you may want to take notes on this one. Let's get started. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. Hey everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm Scott Trudy, your host, and with us this week, as always, well, almost always, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh yeah. Mr. Coonrod, how are you doing today, sir? I'm fair to Midland, Scott. Almost always. Almost. Almost. I mean, that's that's true. You are, that's true. You are almost yeah, yeah. always on every show. There have been a handful where you have not. Yeah, have not been on every show. <laughs> but never have you been anything other than... Fair to Midlands. Right. So how's your That's week true. been? How's That's your week true. been, sir? My week has been... Uh, I already used Fair to Midland. Now I'm trapped. I don't know what to say. Uh, it's been good? Good. I'm going to say... I'm going to go with good. Oh, it's been good. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, things have settled down for us. Like, I came out of the gate sipping from the fire hose... Because it's 2022 and everybody's <laughs> sipping from the fire hose because apparently that's what we do. And uh, now it's kind of mellowed out, which is fantastic. Although I will say this, like I had a conversation with my boss about it. Like when you come out and you're in, if anybody understands Cubby, you got four quadrants. Everybody, do you understand that? Like there's the urgent yes. and important. And then there's the not urgent, not important. Like that's what we do. We start off in an urgent, important. We sip from the fire hose and then boom, right down into doing baloney stuff like i'm gonna go check my facebook like that does not urgent or important and <laughs> and uh but when i have extra time like really be purposeful about spending the time in the not important not not urgent but important that's where we grow that's my speech for today i'm gonna be done with my speech but uh yeah find some time to uh, personal <laughs> development like uh listening to this show because we got a great guest today we also have a great co-host you love her she's back this week abby's here Abby. Hey, Scott. How was your vacay in very cold um, Florida? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I managed to go to Orlando when it was like sub freezing weather, but we did. We had a really good time. But Orlando is like bizarro world, man. It's a weird, weird town. Help me understand, help our audience understand Bizarro World, because I understand what you're talking about. Help it. What does that mean? Like, we took my four-year-old to Disney for the first time, and of course, we're driving to Disney from the place we rented, and there's like a mermaid on the side of the building, like it's as big as a building. And my son was like, what is that? And I was like, I, I don't know how to explain to you why someone would make a building look like a mermaid. It just is. Like, this is Orlando. So. It's Orlando. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I find Orlando to be this really interesting place because there's so many tourists that are there that um, if you live, I would go crazy living there yeah. because you can't get from one place to another without being involved in at least two major accidents like that. <laughs> that happens every day down there. And it's just insane. So, yeah. And their crazy. traffic design doesn't help. That's the weirdest no. traffic design in the whole world. So take there everyone is- who's like not familiar with the area, make them interpret really weird like lane changes and yeah orlando's an interesting place yeah all right we're gonna put the gps talk to the side and uh, introduce <laughs> our very special guest today we've got a great special uh very relevant conversation today ladies and gentlemen um with us this morning this evening whenever you're listening is miss kara north and we're gonna get to know all about her with a little segment called what's your deal Hey, man, what's your deal? Kara! Scott! How you doing? I'm doing better than I deserve. How are you? I love that. Hey, what's your deal, Kara? Oh, gosh. Uh, I have lots of deals. No, so I am Kara North. I have been in learning and development my entire professional career, and I've worked in all kinds of different sectors. I've been in corporate higher education and also consulting. So I have kind of a interesting perspective. I am currently operations training manager at a company that manufactures silicon wafers for the semiconductor industry. And I have a team of eight that reports into me and we have been insanely busy uh, the last couple of years dealing with the growth of the semiconductor industry. And a lot of what we do is onboarding and yeah, it's it's been it's been very busy, but also very kind of fun. A lot of different challenges, but I think that that's not unique definitely to us. I know a lot of learning and development professionals have been dealing with a lot of different challenges uh, throughout the, this past couple of years. So, We are super, super excited to have you um, with us this morning. And um, you've got an amazing background um, in how things are changing, especially for those of us that are uh, looking to, um, you know, add more impact, add more value, right? And so without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, dive into our topic of the week. All right, so this morning, Kara's going to bring us a whole bunch of knowledge around the evolution of learning roles and that is so exciting to me because I've been in this business for a long, long time, and I've never seen so much change in our industry as now. We can maybe thank the pandemic for that, or just maybe it was time. But I would love to get your thoughts on how learning roles are evolving, because I know that each and every one of those people who are listening today are probably very piqued and interested in the things that you want to talk about. Sure. So I think that, you know, the nice thing, if there is a nice thing about what's happened is people actually know what we do for a living now before kind of the pandemic, when I know my partner would try to describe what I do is like, oh, yeah, they make the the e-learning online. And it's like, eh, I do more than that. But that that's really sweet of you to say. So I think that because of this, people are more aware of what what we do. But I think a really bad side effect to that has been what I call panic gaji, meaning that organizations have just tried to move everything online as quickly as possible without uh, really kind of care in regard to the, uh, you know, what actually works in, in the space. So for example, when the pandemic hit, I was still in higher education and just seeing kind of that whole interesting dynamic between what I'll call the administration and the colleges at the university, it was like no one wanted to take accountability for what was going on. And what I saw was a, a an extreme lack of support for the different uh, faculty members. And, and ultimately, I think the losers of that were, were the students. And I think that that has kind of been kind of around, um, you know, not certainly focused just in higher education, but I think other industries kind of saw it as well. But because of that, I do think that there has been a ton of contract roles come out of that where people didn't have the kind of composition of the team that they needed to move things over quickly. And I think especially last year, people kind of started to wake up and smell the coffee and like, you know what, maybe this isn't good. And maybe we actually need to do it the right way. So I think there was a lot of cleanup from 2020 of this kind of rapid 
panic gaji move everything online to okay it worked in it was a nice little band-aid in the in that time now we actually need to do it the right way now we actually need to rethink about how we're supporting uh the people that we serve in our organization so i i've never seen the contract market as hot as it's been in my entire career. And I've seen people really charge a premium rate for a lot of these roles that that are out there. But those people have this thing called experience, um, which I don't know if we're going to dive into that or not. But I, I think that there's been a lot of people that's looking to transition, which is wonderful. I, I, I love this profession. And I think it's wonderful people have found out about it and want to be part of it. But but I do think it takes some upskilling and some um, acclimation to, to the work. I don't think that you can just jump in and say, hey, I'm a learning development professional today. I think, I think it takes a little bit of experience. Can I ask a question before we talk rules? Like I find it really interesting and I think everybody can agree. Like they're um, the panic dodgy, like, Oh my God, I got to take my class and put it online. In your experience, how successful were we at that? Cause I have a very strong teachable point of view around it. Successful as in moving it online, uh, I think it was pretty horrible. I mean, the institution that I was at, and I don't know if this is the way it was everywhere, but their standard of a good online course was it had a syllabus and a grade book. That was it. Uh, and I just don't think that that really served the students well. And, you know, if I were a student paying full cost tuition, I, I don't think I'd be very happy with that. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm right there with you. I think a lot of people are like, hey, we moved this online, but they're not taking a look at the objectives and they're not taking a look at impact at all. Um, I think we've got a long, long road ahead of us to really kind of learn and how we had drive impact um, in that arena. And we've had several of guests and friends of mine on the show to talk about that. So I'm, I'm super glad you, you bring that up because I you know, I even had the opportunity to teach, speak with some folks last week with an opportunity to like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've we got a great online program. I'm like, Oh my goodness. How, how big is it? Like it's a 12 week online program. Oh my goodness. Like that. I want to look at that and then we're going to fix that because that's not the experience that I think our audience wants at all, but you're happy with 12 it. Weeks. Yeah. 12 week online program, Dan, 12 week online program. So at any rate, <laughs> well, I think it's just, there was a gross oversimplification of what learning was. People thought like you can just take what you do in a classroom and type it up and put it on a slide and put it online. That is not at all what learning it. Putting something online changes everything. There is learning is interactive. It's iterative. It's measured completely different when it's online. So there was just to Kara's point about you need professionals. There was just a complete oversimplification of what our industry does. Yeah. And to your point, Kara, I think also you know, one of the reasons why the contract market is so hot and I get hit every day, you know, do you want a contract job? And so I know it's hot and yes, they're, they're paying decent money. Right. So, um, but there really is a gap in skill, right. Especially in this new brave new world that we're in. And that's why I think some of the things that you're going to talk about today are super important because I, I hate to say it. I think a lot of organizations are like, can you fog this mirror? <sighs> <laughs> okay, great. You're a learning person. I mean, even with on my own team, I look around and go, oh my goodness. Um, I had a really awesome conversation with my boss about somebody she gave me. And I'm like, yeah, he's a build the better mousetrap guy. He's not, not a learning guy. We, we need to go out and find talent and hire for talent. And sometimes, you know, especially within the pandemic, like when we find roles for people, can we, you know, help them stay employed? And that's fantastic. At what cost? Right. So mm -hmm. In transition to the things that I know that you you want to talk about, let's talk about the market today. If I'm in the market, right, and I'm looking for new opportunities and we're looking for roles and responsibilities that drive impact, both professional impact for our audience and you know business impact for our the people we serve, what are our hiring managers looking for? What are they looking for? And how, how do I stand out and make sure they're talking to me? Uh, wonderful question. So I think it's kind of three three main criteria that, that they're looking for. Number one, I, I think they're looking for the value add piece, right? So it's not just can you build something pretty? It's not can you just talk to a certain subject matter expert, but how can you add value to maybe the composition of the team that they currently have? And how can you add value to the organization that they, they currently serve? So 
I had a really interesting conversation two years ago. I got to meet Dr. M. David Merrill and I kind of had a a freak out moment. I was like, oh my gosh, knowledge crush, like love him. And I asked him a question. I said, what is the, you know, relationship of these learning technologies and the content? And he gave me a very beautiful metaphor and I love sharing it of, you know, think of learning technology as a semi truck, but then think of the content as the cargo inside. So when you think of it that way, what is more important to the organization, the technology or the content? I think that currently there's a lot of people looking to transition into learning development that are so focused on the learning technology that they completely forget the content. And I think that there was a big kind of uh, panic of what I'm calling the OG instructional designers three to five years ago that were these curriculum development gurus that could take the fire hose of content and make it a drinkable glass of water, so to speak, right? And they were so worried about, oh, I need to learn the technologies, I need to learn the technologies. I predict, especially in the next couple of years, we're going to see the pendulum uh, switch back to them and say, hey, you know, you actually still need to know how to kind of do the content. So I think really focusing on that is kind of the first piece. Second piece, I I don't think a portfolio is optional anymore. I think you need to kind of have one to, to, to even start that conversation. Any rec that I've had open, I said a portfolio is mandatory. Um, I won't even, you won't even get a phone screen if I don't even look at the portfolio. Like it's that important. But what I see a lot of people stumble in the portfolio is the only focus on what I call the pretty little end piece. I like to know the mess. I like to know the story because I think a lot of people, especially as you're getting experience, they read about Addie or they read about Sam and it just sounds so beautiful and perfect and, you know, sequential. It's not that way at all, right? I, I, we all know it's not that way in the real world. There, it's not if, but when something goes wrong. So I love seeing, you know, your scoping document. I love knowing how you evaluate something. I'd love to see a mock-up, a wireframe, a storyboard of how you built what it was. The, the end piece is important, but I want to know more of the story. And I, I encourage people to do that in their portfolio because I think it makes you stand out in a good way. And third, and this is the most important, this is my own hiring bias, but I hire for heart. So my current composition of my team, half of my team, this is the very first learning development role. And I did that on purpose. Uh, one, because I like to burn myself out, apparently. But uh, two, I someone took a chance on me 14 years ago when I worked in a call center. And they said, hey, you have some potential. I want you to train other people. And that's how I found my work and my passion and my bliss. So I said, when it's my turn, I'm going to pay it for it. I'm going to do the same thing for others. And my four brand new learning development professionals, uh, they are complete sponges. They are soaking everything up. Has it taken a whole lot more work of me as a manager to build them up? Yes, but I am getting a huge return on the investment of my time because they're curious, they're knowledgeable. So when I'm looking to hire for heart, if someone doesn't have every little piece of experience, one, don't lie, just, just, just be yourself, own it, that's fine. But I want to know, how are you giving back? I love to hire people who are volunteers because I know that they have a good heart. I, I love knowing how do you keep up with kind of the industry. And so those are questions that I love to ask. And if I ask you the question, hey, how do you keep up the industry? And you look at me with a blank face. I probably know that this isn't cut out for you because you have to be continually to eat your own dog food, right? We have to continue to keep looking and seeing kind of what's going on um, in order to to make what we do better. So hopefully that was helpful. Kara, you were, Kara, you were like speaking my language. I absolutely love that. I, first off, like hiring for heart, uh, hiring for passion is like, that's my number one. Like when, when I'm looking for people, when I'm sorting through, like, uh, just like all the people coming in, applying for roles, it's like, are they going to be passionate? Uh, I'll tell you this. I will look at somebody's portfolio before I even bother looking at their resume. Like resume for me is like a, like a, a differentiator at the end. Like I, I don't, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say it's too loud, but I really don't care about resumes. Uh, they're not something I really care about until after I've looked at the portfolio. And so if all I get is your, your resume and no portfolio, chances are you're not going any further. Like a portfolio is so important because it's gonna tell me so much about how you think and who you are on what you've built. And so I can like take a look at that and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I definitely want this person. And then follow up, yeah, heart. I, uh, I've been so lucky 
uh, to learn a lesson. I hired, I didn't hire somebody one time. I, I passed by them because they didn't have experience. I was like, they don't have experience. That's pretty early on. And the universe uh, was just like, yo, bro, hold up for a second. And later on, like this person circled back into my orbit to report to me. And they were fantastic. They were amazing. And um, I remember like basically after like a few weeks being like, I was so wrong. I have to tell this person how wrong I was. And like going to this person and be like, hey, I just want to let you know when you first interviewed, I was a hard no. And it was because you didn't have experience. And I just wanted to come tell you how wrong I was and what a mistake that was. I should I should have looked at everything else. And I, and I know you're here now. And I'm glad that you're here, but I just want to let you know, like, what a valuable lesson I've learned from this. And I apologize. And I'll apologize forever because it was such a dumb call. So, yeah, 100%, I agree. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because um, I think all of us have been there. And yet there are people, they've been on our show, people that have come across my my sphere of influence. I'm like, oh, there was this thing that I needed you to do in this role, but you didn't know how to do it and but you're amazing. So, you know, keep that up and that's great. You know, uh, Carrie, you talk about portfolios and we have kind of danced around that, um, topic for a while. Um, do you have any specific kinds of suggestions around, let's say I'm an LND, been an LD for a while, don't have a portfolio. How do I get started? What, where, what do I need to put in one and where do I go? Help me. Sure. I, I think that, well, again, this is my own bias speaking, but I love to know a little bit of someone's personality. So I remember there was a portfolio that I reviewed and it was someone who was really into farmer's market. They grew their own produce, they sold it. And so everything in their portfolio told a story kind of about their hobbies of like, hey, here's how I started building my little farm. Like, here's how I market my farmer's market business. And so it wasn't this really kind of stuffy compliance or, hey, like here's another example of something that you would see in a learning development space. It showed me their capability with the tools, capability of kind of chunking content, but it wasn't so it wasn't so stuffy. So I think that there that is a great opportunity because, you know, we are so focused in our, our roles of building and coloring within the lines, right? Of like, hey, we need to do it this way. We need it out the door, whatever. So the portfolio to me is like an open invitation to be as creative as you want to be. And you can talk about any topic that you want. Now, if that's not your, your thing, I totally get that. If you need some kind of guidance, Kristen Anthony, who is an instructional designer at Amazon, she's fantastic, has built a website. It's called godesignsomething.co. And if you go there, it has little prompts to get you started on projects that you could build for your portfolio. But what I love about it is she actually also has links to different examples of things that people can build. So I did a series on YouTube, I want to say it was last year, of like walking people through how to build the portfolio asset. And I used to go design something for that. And the prompt was teaching people how to read their electric bill. I mean, really kind of boring stuff, but you can do a lot of stuff with that with, with a video or like graphic overlay, or there's a lot of different ways that you could kind of slice and dice that content. So I, I recommend that. And then third, um, you know, make sure that you get multiple eyeballs on it. You know, I think it's very brave to share kind of working out loud that, that, that work that you've done. So I, I really admire the people that like will build something and then put on LinkedIn. Hey, I just built this. Would anybody be willing to give me feedback? And most of the time people are like, sure. Yeah. I'd love to look at it. I, I know I've looked at stuff and you know, if I have time, I'll review it and give people some tips on that. So, you know, get, get as many eyeballs as possible on things too. Um, now, if you're currently employed and you have any kind of data to talk about, you know, the metrics of what it is that you've done. So like, let's say, um, you know, in manufacturing, we had a number of the, the, you know, the amount of widgets that we produced before and then after the learning experience. If you can have any data to also explain out a little bit of, you know, the importance of what you made, I think even better. That's like icing on the cake. And the more you can get comfortable with data, especially if you're looking to move up in your career to be leader of a department or, you know, my ultimate goal is I am going to be a chief learning officer. I am going to do it. So I, you know, the more you can get comfortable with data, I think the better that's going to be, it's only going to help you more in your career. Kara, I want to ask, um, I hate working on resumes. 
I hate prepping for interviews. Like it's, it makes me anxious. I stress out. It's when I have my biggest like imposter syndrome overflow. So um, I have tried over the years to be more proactive. And even when I'm super happy in my role, I'm like, what do I need to be doing to think about the next place I may be? Um, any tips for getting in that place where you're like working on it when you should be and not when you have to be need to be panicked, need to find a job? Sure. Um, I think your personal brand is super, super important. And there's just little things that you can do consistently to kind of keep that going. You know, a great one is, you know, even if you don't have time to make your own content, but commenting on other people's content or saying, hey, that's an interesting point. Here's how I see it. That's an easy way to continue to build your brand, especially like on LinkedIn. Whether you like it or not, one of the first things people do when they meet you is they Google you. And you're going to have a digital footprint whether you like it or not, why don't you want to control that narrative with what you can put out? So I think there's that. And then second, Abby, this is probably the best advice I've ever gotten. And I wish I had it earlier in my career, but I was in an org and I was just completely, just absolutely burned to a crisp. And I was like, is this even worth my time anymore? And a mentor of mine told me, change your mindset to being self-employed. And for some reason that clicked with me. And so the minute I looked at my employer as my client, the power shifted back to me. And I'm like, you know what? I don't have to do this if I don't want to. I can fire my client. I can get another client. And so since I've adopted that mindset, my mental health has been so much better when it comes when it comes to work. Because, you know, even the worst days, I'm like, is it time to fire the client? Like, yeah, it might be time to fire the client. So there, there's that power dynamic that that shifts versus, you know, I depend on this organization for my, my livelihood. And, you know, the pandemic was kind of not kind to my family. So my, my husband didn't work for 14 months. So it was me. I was the breadwinner. So that was pretty, pretty stressful. But I mean, we we made it. But, you know, knowing that, you know, if something was wrong or I didn't like something that, I have the power to walk away at any time and I can get another client. That's really been eye-opening for me. And it, I hope that's helpful for other people too, because I really can't tell you how much that that has really improved again, my mental health. Yeah, I think so for sure. When I, I went through a job change a few years ago and there was a period where I was looking for my next role and I was, it was one of those times where I was like really nervous. Am I going to find something that's going to pay the bills? But I was also like, I had just come out of a situation that was not great for me. I wasn't super happy in the role. And I was like, what do I do to make sure, one, I can get a job that pays the bills, but two, I'm never in that position again. And a lot of it had not that clarity, but I had a similar thought of, I've got to tell people what I want to do. Like, I don't know why it had never occurred to me before, but I was, I was like, let me tell them what I enjoy doing and what I'm good at instead of what I'm willing to do and capable of doing, because those are different things. Yeah. And the other thing too, and I love this idea of I get to fire my client, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> I might fire my client tomorrow. At any rate, um, <laughs> it really helps separate. So like, I think one of the things that, it, and we've talked about this before, learning people are amazing people, mainly because we're all in this industry because we genuinely care about people. We care about people. We care about growth. That's why we do what we do, which is why I love talking with with people like yourself, Kara. And as such, I think that there is a tendency for us to put way too much of ourselves into our work, right? And so for me, my experience over the last 20, 2020s, I put too much of myself in the, into work. And then it's really easy to take things personally. And so when you can separate the business, right, from who you are, it becomes so much easier too, right? So I can focus in on who I am and I can have fun and I can do great things and not everybody's going to agree with me and that's okay, right? Not everybody's going to be happy about some of the decisions that I make, but that's not on me, right? That may be an educational piece or maybe like, you know, I need to fire my client kind of piece, you know, that kind of thing. But my experience, at least one of the things that I would tag onto that, like, hey, you know, just, just, it's just business. Do what you do because you love what you do and pour into your passion because it's great. And not everybody's going to get that, and that's okay. So um, one of the things that I would love to ask and get your feedback on, so here I am, right? I've had at the interview, 
right? We're interviewing for a job. Everything's going great. And now we get to the last five, 10 minutes, right? And they go, what questions do you have for us, right? So this is that opportunity that we have to make sure it's a good fit. But I got to tell you, I know for me personally that there are questions that I genuinely ask, and I don't know if they're really hitting the mark. Um, what are some good questions that we can ask that can really ensure, number one, that it's a great fit for us? And number two, kind of are ones that show off our intellectual capital. Sure. Uh, my favorite question to ask, and it, a lot of times it's not clear even in the interview process or even the job description, is where does learning and development sit in the business? And I'll tell you why this is such a good question. It will totally, wherever you sit in the business, that is going to dictate kind of the work that you're going to be doing. So I've had the opportunity in my career, I've sat in HR, I've sat in operations, I've sat in IT. All three of those experiences are vastly different. Uh, all three of those experiences were definitely different areas of focus of, of the work that we did. So for example, when I sat in HR, it was legal defensibility, compliance, uh, reporting. And personally, for me, that was not my my happy place. I, I was miserable working and coloring within those lines. I had limited creativity, uh, limited uh, opportunities to kind of build new things. It was very um, more kind of uh, stick, less carrot, so to speak, uh, at least in that the role that I was in. So I, I made the decision. I was like, I never want to be in another HR learning development role. When I was in IT, they tried to IT everything, meaning everything was a ticket. Somebody call me and ask a question, put a ticket in, track that time, right? And that was a completely different experience for me because it's like, yeah, but they just asked a question. Like, I don't, I don't think I need a ticket. No, if, if you don't ticket that, then, it, you know, it's, it's going to be bad for you. So there was that. And then second, in that role, I felt like I was very much more tech support than learning development. So I would get a lot of the, hey, our printer's broken can you fix it questions? And I'm like, I hate printers, but don't get me started. Um, so that was interesting because they're like, well, but you're IT, right? And I was like, well, no, no, not really. I'm just learning to, you know, so that was, that was difficult to kind of break away from that. I'm currently in my current role. I'm in operations, which I love because I feel like I'm actually supporting the people that is making the money for our organization. But the last 14 months of this role has been nothing but onboarding because of the growth of our company. And so I have just been so focused on onboarding and building and facilitating. It, it has just been bedlam. And so for me, I feel bad that I have not been able to make more of an impact for the people that are right here. And I'm hoping, obviously, that will slow down a little bit where we can build that. But um, you know, the reason I wanted this role is was like, oh, I get to support the people on the front lines, but it's just been, it's been onboarding because that's just sadly been the part of our business. Now, another poten potential option is you could be in a centralized learning development function. A lot of times these are called like centers of excellence or something like that, where it is kind of this shared function across the business. Now that could definitely be good. Um, I know people that's had that where they felt like they've been funded appropriately. They have resources. It's good. But then the other thing is because it's a centralized service, uh, everybody thinks that they can tell you everything to do. And it's a little bit harder to get a uh, stakeholder agreement and, and things like that. So um, getting those insights, I think, does also share that, you know, you kind of know what you're, you're looking for. And then you can really get a good sense of what the job day to day is going to be like, um, instead of just assuming, because a lot of times they, these job descriptions are pretty generic, and you just assume what a typical day looks like, but really knowing where it sits in the business gives you additional insights. Um, a couple other questions. I think it is a mutual fit um, for an interview. So if you are interviewing with who your your leader would be, I'd love I love asking, hey, what's your management and development style? Uh, see if there's alignment there. Um, if it's not clear by that point, I always like to ask, what's the composition of the current learning development team? Um, that way, again, you get to kind of know what 
other peer support that you have and where where that work is going to kind of guide you for your individual role. And then I also love to ask, you know, hey, what do you think the first 60 or 90 days are going to look like? Um, again, letting you know what to expect, kind of some of those first projects that they put you on. And that way you can kind of gauge, hey, do I really want to take this role or do I need to keep looking for something better suited for me? And what about the flip side of that, Kara? Like when you look at job postings or or maybe even when you're interviewing somebody, what are like red flags that jump out at you and go, oh, wait, maybe this isn't good for either of us? <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, where to even begin? Okay. Uh, <laughs> the first automatic red flag, which typically if I see this, they don't even get to speak to me, is if I see intellectual property in a portfolio. So I'm in the state of Ohio. There's a lot of Air Force bases in the state, and I uh, got the portfolio of somebody who was looked incredible. Everything was great. I opened it up, and it had full flight like blueprints of flighter jets in it. And I'm like, no way, because the industry that I'm currently in, you know, I'm ex Amazon. My NDA at Amazon was pretty wicked. My current NDA is even more wicked and vile than that. So if I were to bring them on and they share the secrets on how we make our product or whatever, it would be my head on a platter and I'm not willing to take that risk. So plain and simple IP, no, no, no bueno. Second, I appreciate what what Daniel had said about the portfolio and resume. I kind of look at them in tandem. So on your resume, if you say, I can do Storyline, TechSmith Camtasia, whatever, and I don't see that kind of one-to-one on your portfolio, that's a red flag, Um, absolute red flag. Because if you're saying you can do all this stuff, this is you telling me, portfolio is you showing me. And so there needs to be an alignment there. And then third is what I call the uh, professional fudging, meaning that, you know, somebody that has worked in kind of a, I'll call it a fringe area, like, like let's say a teacher and then a teacher telling me they have 20 some years of instructional design experience. I'm like, uh, you know, it's, yeah, I, I, I don't care for that. Now I know that they get that advice. A lot of them sadly pay for that bad advice and some of these ID academies. So my heart is, you know, I feel bad for them, but I know myself as like, yeah, that's professional fudging because on paper, if that were true, you would definitely have more experience than me. So is that accurate? I, I, you know, no, probably not. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, totally see where you're coming from there. Um, and and I see that too. Like, really? (laughs) Are you that awesome? Uh, yeah. So that, that's interesting. So I, so I love that. You know, as you take a look at the evolution of, of learning roles, like what are some upskilling opportunities that maybe we should begin to think about, right? So is the bread and butter storyline design experience, the, you, you mentioned the Addy model or the SAM model, is, are those like, I got to really make sure I understand those or I what, what areas should I be looking outside of the box? Like where should I be focusing my time and energy? Where where can I begin to build that um, leadership story within the evolution of L&D? Sure. I love this question. So I did some formal academic research about this actually back in 2020 with my research group at Ohio State. And we actually took a bunch of instructional design jobs. We collected them right when the pandemic was kind of getting kicked off. So I believe we uh took the sample from June to August and we synthesized and went through all these jobs. And what we did was we compared it to the ATD capability model. So if you're not familiar with it, it's called the um, talent and development capability model. There's kind of three main buckets. One is uh, building personal capability. The second is building professional capability. And then third is impacting organizational capability. So before even looking at this, I predicted, I said, well, it, it, the organization, I said, that's got to be it. I was like, organization and then the professional. I was like, that, those got to be the two main buckets. And I was dead wrong. <laughs> so through kind of, again, mapping out and coding all of these jobs, um, it was very clear that they were so focused, at least in 2020, when these roles came out, just, just get it online, get it online, get it online, get it online. Now, as we talked, I, I think that that has changed a lot, right? And I think 
organizations are starting to see some of the issues with just the get it online, the panic gaji, right? So I think that if you're really looking to upskill, you're looking to kind of grow into a leadership position, impacting organizational capability is huge. What is what is the actual impact of what it is that you are creating? How are you supporting the business? How are you being proactive versus reactive? I think that the last couple of years, so many people have just been absolutely reactive and there's a new fire that pops up every day. I know that that has been kind of my daily uh, cadence of, of my own job. Like, oh, I, I have plans to do this today. Nope, there's three fires you got to put out in front of you before you even get to that. So I think that's really critical. Also, too, it goes without saying, I think project management is never a bad thing to continue to upskill and innovate in. There are some orgs that have people that manage projects for you. There's some orgs that you manage your own projects. And then there's some orgs that's like, what's project management? But I I think that the more that you uh, get more comfortable with it and and the more that you can see, and it doesn't necessarily have to be what I call the the PMBOK, the project management book. It doesn't have to be this rigid method of project management, but just knowing, you know, the simple question, who's doing what by when? Is it something that we do? Is it something a stakeholder's doing? You know, just even if you can just start there and have that question answered throughout your projects, you're doing a whole lot better than a lot of people are. Um, And then finally, I really can't stress enough. It is so important to keep up with your lifelong learning. A lot of people say, oh, I'm a lifelong learner. It's like, great, how? And then they're like, what do you mean, how? I'm like, well, what are you, what are you doing to continue to, to learn? So I actually have my team, they have one hour a week, I block their calendar, and I tell them to stay on LinkedIn for an hour. I said, I want you to dig around and read and see what people are doing because it's that important. And one of the things I had all of them do when they came to my team is you will make a LinkedIn profile and you will connect with other learning and development professionals because it's just so critical for you to see what people are talking about and engaging in those conversations. So I think it's really important because you can't be perfect at everything in this profession. So being able to connect with other people who maybe have more expertise in an area or two, um, it will certainly pay dividends down the road for you. Guys, isn't she brilliant? This is why I wanted to bring Kara on. I hope you guys hear what I hear. Let me tell you, I found Kara on LinkedIn a long time before I reached out to her. I read her paper. She's the real McCoy. And if you're not following Kara on LinkedIn, I'm telling you, you're missing out. She makes incredible contributions to the platform. She makes great posts. She comments on people's posts with honesty and integrity and great insight. And I'm telling you, um, this is great, solid advice coming from someone who really understands their their um, work and has a passion for it. Yeah, and I was just going to say there are about a thousand people writing you right now saying, can I work for you? It'd be great. <laughs> and I, I, I love this idea of you're going to spend an hour on LinkedIn. I don't I don't give myself that amount of time. I know I should. Like I had a habit of going onto LinkedIn because I, I do believe that LinkedIn is a place where, um, man, there's no better vehicle to establish yourself as a thought leader. And so many people just kind of go there and like stuff, right? So we're so used to this meta idea of thumbs up and, hey, this is what I'm eating for breakfast right now, right? All that baloney. Where LinkedIn really is this amazing, amazing place to find uh, incredible people and to put yourself out there. And I think the number is, um, Kara, correct me if I'm wrong, like less than like 5% of the people actually do put themselves out there. So there's a huge opportunity for you to do that. Um, and the other thing before I let you comment on that is I, I used to tell my team, subscribe to training magazine or ATD because I get hit every single day with a webinar. Mm-hmm. And I have people on my team go, how did you learn this? Well, I went to a webinar. How do you have time for that? Well, I made time for that because it's my job, right? So my job is to ensure that we're always on the cutting edge of learning stuff. And there are plenty of people out there who are wicked smarter than me that are talking about things. And I'm going to gleam something. I'm going to apply it at work. And when you do that, you sound wicked smart and you add 
value to the people that you serve. No, I completely agree. And uh, the team probably, I probably get on their last nerve, but we have a, a team chat. We use Microsoft Teams. Every day I'm saying, hey, I saw this on LinkedIn. Look at this. Hey, look at look at this. How do you think we could apply this to this? How? And even, uh, you know, the book by Kathy Moore, Map It. I bought that book for every member of my team. And I've bought it for a ton of people also on LinkedIn that reached out to the point that Capital One had a fraud alert on every time I bought it. Like, why are you buying this blasted book again? Like, what is your problem? Um, that's true. That's true. I, I Capital One's like, Kara, what are you doing? But I was like, no, I'm buying these books for people. And we took the time we read it as a team. We talked about how we could take baby steps to kind of implement this and, you know, kind of grow and feed our subject matter experts and support them better. But um, to the point, as, as Abby was talking a little bit earlier about, you know, how do I, how can I find a role? I will tell you the last role that I uh, got, I did not apply for. Because I think that if you have built a good brand and you let people know you're open, they just fly in and you are going to beat that black hole of submitting applications every single time when jobs apply to you versus you applying to them. So when I knew that I was done with higher ed, I went to LinkedIn. I turned on the little uh, option that recruiters could speak to me. I got I got a couple bites and then I was very lucky and fortunate in the middle of the pandemic when a lot of my friends lost their jobs, which is why I started posting the L&D jobs as frequently as I did because a lot of wicked talented people that I knew lost their jobs and said, Lord, if it could happen to them, it could happen to any of us. And if I can just post and help people and it's just kind of kept going. But I had two orgs in a bidding war for me in May of 2020 when a lot of orgs had no idea what was going on. And I attribute all of that to my brand and putting all the stuff out there on LinkedIn. It's that important. Couldn't agree with you more. Um, and then being strategic about it. And of course, there are other channels that you can use. But folks, if you're not on LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, if you want to reach out to people like myself or Kara around like, hey, what are, where do I do and where do I start? You know, there's some basic things that you can do to, to ensure that you've got visibility and that people take you seriously. And then you know, go from there. Right. And um, it, it really is a great place um, for building a network that um, people will genuinely help you, which I think is fantastic. So as we begin to as we begin to kind of wind down our time together, which has been brilliant, I, I feel so much smarter already, which is great. Uh, is there anything that you wanted to talk about today, Kira, that we, we just didn't have time for? What's one thing that you that you wanted to make sure our audience understood, but we just haven't kind of touched on. Well, I love that you all said that learning and development people are good people. I, I inherently believe that as well. Of course, with everything, there's a few bad apples out there, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. But I really think that if you are in this position and you are looking to maybe get started, there are a lot of great free resources out there. But the thing that I tell everybody is if you take from the community, make sure that when it's your time to pay it forward, uh, whether that is taking time to talk to someone when you get things figured out. I love the fact that there are so many people that have started their L&D journey that have been kind of working out loud, like, hey, I made it through my first week. Here's five things that surprised me. Even content like that, that, you know, some people that are senior, like, well, who would care about that? There are a lot of people that would love to have that information. So do not underestimate the power of your own experiences to help other people because that little nugget that you have might unlock the key to the door that somebody's been trying to break down for months truly so that would kind of be my my parting words of wisdom is you know if you are getting kind of your feet wet you're trying to transition you don't kind of know where to start you know you take advantage of some of the free resources out there don't forget to pay it forward when you're in a position to do so if you're really passionate about being an L and D, I think that rings true. And, and I think you should, if you didn't hear that and like feel it in your heart, I don't know. <laughs> I worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I totally do like that passion thing. Like if you're in L and D and you don't have passion for it, I'm, I'm not going to say go find something else, but like, why? Like, this is not an easy job. Like, there's there's easier jobs out there. If you don't have passion for this stuff, go, go find something else. I feel bad saying that, but 
this is definitely a passion profession. All right, I'm going to speak on behalf of Dan and Abby, and you guys can go and chime in if you want to. This journey for us in this space, doing what we do, meeting amazing people like you, Kara, um, and getting stories back almost every day from people that, oh, I listened to your show and it really helped me. Or um, you, know, you guys talked about this and it really helped me. And or you know, guests that have come on the show who have become some of my dearest friends, right? I cannot tell you the amount of joy that has come from pouring back into the community to make people better. And I'm not here to tell everybody, hey, start your own podcast. I'm here to tell everybody that Kara's right. Like, put yourself out there and give back to the community because the community will come back in spades and give so much back. And I will tell you, these times that I get to share with my two dearest friends and amazing people like Kira, you and I are going to be friends for life now. This is great, right? Um, it, this is the best part of my week. And this makes all the other baloney that comes from the rest of the week palatable. So whatever it is, folks, whatever your passion is, like pour into that passion. It'll come back in spades. You will be better. So with that, I want to thank uh, Kara. Thank you. Thank you so much. Glad to have you on the show. I think it's great. Hey, listen, um, could you do us a favor? Let our audience know how they could connect a little bit more with you. Sure. So I am on LinkedIn. If you haven't figured that out, uh, Kara North 11 is the URL to get there. I'm also on Twitter, Kara North 11, but that's less professional Kara and more personal Kara. So if you like video games like Apex Legends, sports and Wordle, um, connect with me on Twitter. Um, I'm also my website's KaraNorth.net. I have a YouTube channel, Unfiltered ID. And I have a book coming out maybe this year, maybe the beginning of next year. depends on how quickly I finish writing it. But it's about learning experience design. And it's going to be published by ATD. Fantastic. We look forward to that book when it comes out. I, I want to make sure we um, let our audience know so we can all read it. That's great. Daniel-san. Yes, Scott. Dan, you always put that like dramatic pause after I ask that every I know. week. It's important. It's important. Okay. All right. Well, Daniel-san? Yes, Scott. Again. All right. Could you do our audience a favor <laughs> and let them know how they could connect with us? Absolutely. All right, party people. If you haven't already, hit us up at email at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us any questions you might have. Join in on the conversation. We'd love to know what you're thinking. For you Facebook folks, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And for our Instagram peeps, Fab Learning Nerds. Scott. Hey, folks, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Do me a favor. Could you hit that subscribe button? Share this uh, podcast with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. If you're on a podcatcher like Stitcher or iTunes, leave us a review. We'd like to know what we're doing well. We'd like to know how we can improve. And it helps get the show out to more people. And with that being said, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. I'm Kara. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention. Meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're, if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.